Blog Talk Radio. I'm 
Mwamba mubiai Mulu mawaji tanda Kwa wa waka yeme Mwena menshi Mawanye September 19th, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another edition uh, of our program, this special edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Later on, we'll be coming up uh, with our Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, we'll have dispatches on the beginning deportations of Haitian migrants seeking refuge in the United States on the southern Texas border. Ethiopia is demanding clarity on the role of Washington in the ongoing relations between the two states. Gideon military officials responsible for the coup earlier in the month have rejected the requests by ECOWAS to allow ousted President Alpha Conde to lead the West African country. And the African National Congress Treasurer General says that the ruling party has adequate resources to contest the upcoming local government elections. In the second hour, we look uh, deeper into the decision of the administration of President Joe Biden to expel thousands of Haitians from Texas. Finally, uh, we probe into other issues impacting Africa and the world. 
these and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. We'll take a musical interlude. We'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week.
Cuando la mueve tu la capa, 
rewind and counter attack Indian, Japanese, white or black Hold up, culture massive, shock from the attack All in the area, we laugh and come back East back, rewind and counter attack Indian, Japanese, white or black Hold up, culture massive, shock from the attack All in the area, we laugh and come back
Welcome back. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast, this special edition of our program uh, for Sunday, September the 19th, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again uh, to this special edition of our program. And we just heard uh, African Groove. Yes, African Groove Music uh, collection of uh, tracks uh, from all across uh, the African continent. Uh, the last two we heard from uh, Mufolo Hall, Akulawa, and Dumiso uh, is from uh, South Africa. And then the tune entitled Kululama, African Rhythm Travelers, also from South Africa. There's music here from Senegal, the United States even. Uh, the Lagos Communique, Phoebe uh, Cooperation, and Cameroon, uh, Senegal, Kenya, Zimbabwe, Benin, Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, and Mali. Yeah, African groove. And uh, we're here uh, at uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast, and now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. And our lead story uh, deals with the current uh, situation on uh, the southern border of the United States. Uh, the Haitian population, uh, which has uh, sought refuge here uh, in the United States, uh, has been rejected uh, by uh, the Democratic uh, President uh, Joe Biden, uh, who has immediately uh, rejected uh, any appeal uh, by thousands upon thousands of uh, people from Haiti uh, to seek asylum here in the United States, even though uh, the Haitian people have undergone an earthquake, uh, they have uh, undergone political turmoil, just in the short term, not to mention uh, the decades and centuries of exploitation and oppression at the hands of uh, United States imperialism and French imperialism. According uh, to an article uh, published uh, in the Associated Press, uh, Dateline Del Rio, Texas, it says that the United States flew Haitians camped in a Texas border town back to their homeland earlier today and tried blocking others from crossing the border from Mexico in a massive show of force that signaled the beginning of what could be one of America's swiftest and large-scale expulsion of migrants or refugees in decades. More than 320 migrants arrived in Port-au-Prince on three flights. And Haiti said six flights were expected Tuesday. In all, U.S. authorities moved to expel many of the more 12,000 migrants camped around a bridge in Del Rio, Texas, after crossing from Field Acuna, Mexico. The only obvious parallel for such an expulsion without an opportunity to seek asylum was in 1992, when the Coast Guard intercepted Haitian refugees at sea, said Yahoo Shasha senior U.S. advocate at Refugee International, whose doctoral studies focused on the U.S. history of, of, of asylum. Similarly, large numbers of Mexicans have been sent home during peak years of immigration, but overland and not so suddenly. Central Americans have also crossed the border in numbers without being subject to mass expulsions. Although Mexico has agreed to accept them uh, from the U.S. under pandemic-related authority, in effect, since March of 2020, Mexico does not accept expelled Haitians or people 
of other nationalities outside of Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. When the border was closed uh, Sunday, uh, the migrants initially found other ways to cross nearby until they were confronted by federal and state law enforcement. An Associated Press reporter saw Haitian immigrants still crossing the river into the United States about 1.5 miles, that's 2.4 kilometers east of the previous spot. But they were eventually stopped uh, by Border Patrol agents on horseback and Texas law enforcement officials. As they crossed, uh, some Haitians carried boxes on their heads filled with food. Some removed their pants before getting into the river and carried them. Others were unconcerned about getting wet. Agents yelled at the migrants who were crossing in the waist-deep river to get out of the water. The several hundred who had successfully crossed and were sitting along the riverbank on the U.S. side were ordered to the Del Rio camp. Quote, go now, agents yelled. Mexican authorities in an airboat told others trying to cross to go back into Mexico. Migrant uh, Charlie Jean had crossed back into Suadad Acuna uh, from the camps to get food for his wife and three daughters, aged 2, 5, and 12. Uh, he was waiting on the Mexican side for a restaurant to bring him an order of rice. Quote, we need food for every day. I can go without, but my kids can't, said John, who had been living in Chile for five years before beginning the trek north to the U.S. It was unknown if he had made it back and to the camp. Mexico uh, said earlier today it would also begin deporting Haitians to their homeland. A government official said the flights would be from towns near the U.S. border and the border with Guatemala, where the largest group remains. Haitians have been migrating to the United States in large numbers from South America for years, many having left their Caribbean nation after a devastating 2010 earthquake. After jobs dried up from the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, many made the dangerous trek by foot, bus, and car to the U.S. border, including through the infamous Darien Gap, a Panamanian jungle. Some of the migrants at the Del Rio camp said the recent devastating earthquake in Haiti and the assassination of President Juvenal Moïse make them afraid to return to a country that seems more unstable than when they left. Quote, in Haiti there are no securities, said Fabricio Sean, a 38-year-old Haitian who arrived in Texas with his wife and two daughters. Quote, the country is in a political crisis, unquote. Since Friday... 3,300 migrants have already been removed from the Del Rio camp to planes or detention centers. Border Patrol Chief Raul L. Ortiz said on Sunday he expected to have 3,000 of the approximately 12,600 remaining migrants move within a day and aim for the rest to be gone within the week. Quote, we are working around the clock to expeditiously move migrants out of the heat, elements, and from underneath this bridge, to our processing facilities in order to quickly process and remove individuals from the United States consistent with our laws and our policies, unquote, Ortiz said at a news conference at the Del Rio Bridge, the Texas city of about 35,000 people, roughly 145 miles. That's 230 kilometers west of San Antonio. The United States expected to double daily flights soon to at least six, according to a U.S who was not authorized to discuss the matter publicly. 
departure cities were still being determined earlier today. Six flights were scheduled in Haiti on Tuesday, three in Port-au-Prince and three in the northern city of Cape Haitian, said Jean-Nigot Boyel Delva, a Haitian migration director. The rapid expulsions were made possible by a pandemic-related authority adopted by former President Donald Trump in March of 2020 that allows for migrants to be immediately removed from the country without an opportunity to seek asylum. President Joe Biden exempted unaccompanied children from the order but let the rest stand. Any Haitians not expelled are subject to immigration laws, which include rights to seek asylum and other forms of humanitarian protection. Families are quickly released in the United States because the government cannot generally hold children. Some people arriving on the first uh, flight covered their heads as they walked into a large bus parked next to the plane. Dozens lined up to receive plate of rice, beans, and chicken and plantains as they wondered where they would sleep and how they would make money to support their families. All were given $100 and tested for COVID-19, though authorities were not planning to put them into quarantine, said Marie Lord jean jaws with the Office of National Migration. Jerry Monsplacier, 26, said his parents and sister live in Port-au-Prince, but he wasn't sure if he would stay there with them because to reach their house, he, his wife, and their five-year-old daughter would cross a gang-controlled area called Martizan, where killings are routine. Quote, I'm scared. I don't have a plan, unquote. He moved to Chile in 2017, just as he was about to earn an accounting degree to work as a tow truck driver. He later paid for his wife and daughter to join him. They tried to reach the United States because he thought he could get a better paying job and help his family in Haiti. Quote, we're always looking for better opportunities, unquote, he said. Some migrants said they were planning to leave Haiti again as soon as possible. Valerie Ternicion, 29, said she and her husband want to travel with their four-year-old son back to Chile, where she worked as a bakery's cashier. Quote, I'm truly worried, especially for the child, she said. Quote, I can't do anything here, unquote. And we'll have more information on the United States uh, crisis uh, in regard uh, to the mass deportation of Haitians from the United States, clearly a racist act on the part of the uh, Democratic uh, presidential administration of Joe Biden. Uh, They are, of course, uh, going to be held accountable uh, for these racist acts in regard to their immigration policy uh, by uh, not only the African-American people, but many peace and freedom-loving people throughout the United States. And in regard to uh, the developments in the Horn of Africa and Ethiopia, the Congresswoman Karen Bass and Sarah Jacobs said that the United States supremely values its longstanding bilateral ties with Ethiopia and is committed to transform the relations in multifaceted areas of cooperation, including economic and social fears. Now, these statements were made in a discussion with Ethiopian Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs Minister Demike Makunin on yesterday. The U.S. Congresswoman reaffirmed commitment of their country the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ethiopia. Quote, the U.S. also supports Ethiopia's efforts to maintain peace and stability in the country and across the region, unquote, they added. Persons of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ambassador Dina Mufti, 
the Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs uh, Minister Demike Makanin briefed the U.S. Congressional Delegation on the genesis of the conflict in Tigray and the relentless efforts his government has made to solve the problem in a peaceful manner. He also explained about the humanitarian uh, crisis the terrorist TPLF brought about to innocent civilians in northern parts of the country, the ambassador said. Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs in his part noted that the Ethiopia-U.S. relations have been strong and long-lasting, and Ethiopia will continue to further strengthen its economic and social ties with the United States. Further, Ethiopia would work with the United States to stabilize the region, especially in the fight against terrorism, according to Demeke. Demeke acclaimed uh, Karen Bass for an interest in initiative in discussing ways with Ethiopian diasporans in the U.S. to maintain peace and stability in Ethiopia. And uh, also uh, another uh, report uh, from the Ethiopian State News Agency, the current pressure on Ethiopia by the United States and some Western countries arises from the concern of the formation of a strong government as the country is preparing to form a newly elected government composed of potential leaders to address public demands and combat foreign pressure, according to experts. Or a political analyst, uh, Artagashu Fege, some Western leaders do not want to see a strong and legitimate government across the horn. Instead, they are working to form a puppet state, just like the TPLF regime, and that is why they are striving to bring the terrorist group back to power. Artagashu added that the countries that are influencing the federal government to negotiate with the terrorist group would never negotiate with any entity that attacks their army, though they are pressuring Ethiopia to do so. Quote, we need to assure them we have no culture of compromise with anybody that violates our sovereignty, unquote. Meanwhile, Ethiopian Americans have called on the U.S. government to revoke the executive order uh, signed by the president on September the 17th, 2021. Since the order for sanction has emerged from reluctance to understand Ethiopia's facts on the ground, the Ethiopian American Civic Council expressed that the federal government should have been appreciated for its efforts to protect citizens in the country from the brutal attacks of the TPLF, not an embargo to weaken it. The, the council also suggested the Biden administration should agree with the Ethiopian government in stressing that there will be no negotiations with a terrorist group. In response to the executive order signed by the U.S. President, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed uh, wrote an open letter mentioning that currently children in Tigray regions are being used as cannon fodder by remnants of the TPLF that have recently been designated as terrorists by the House of People's Representatives. The children in Tigray have been held hostage by a terrorist organization that attacked the state on November 3rd of last year. The TPLF has proceeded unabated in waging its aggression uh, through the use of children and other civilians contrary to international law. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. In the West African state of Guinea, the ruling junta yesterday ruled out of exile for detained former President Alpha Conde and said transition towards civilian rule 
will be done in accordance with the, quote, the will of the people, unquote. The statement from the ruling council came in defiance of international pressure for Condi's release and a six-month timetable for elections after a coup on September the 5th sparked global condemnation. It also followed the visit on Friday of a mission from the Economic Community of West African States led by two heads of state from the 15-member West African bloc. Mamadi Dumboya, the colonel who led the coup, told the visiting delegation that, quote, it was important for ECOWAS to listen to the legitimate aspirations of the people of Guinea, unquote. And Colonel Amara or Kamara, uh, at the ruling council's first press conference on the six-month deadline, Dumboya uh, stressed the need not to repeat the, quote, mistakes of the past, unquote, recalling that national consultations to outline the transition had begun on Tuesday and that, quote, only sovereign people of Guinea will decide its destiny, unquote, Kamara said. Quote, it is also clear to all parties that the former president will remain in Guinea, unquote, he added. During their visit, the Ghanaian head of state, Nana Akufu Aju, whose country holds the rotating presidents of uh, the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, and his Ivorian counterpart, Alassane Wattar, presented the junta with the organization's demands for elections within six months. They also insisted on the release of Condi, quote, with a very frank fraternal talks with Colonel Dumboya and his associates and collaborators, and I think that ECOWAS and Guinea will find a way to walk together, unquote, Akupu Aju said at the end of the visit. The ruling council, which now designates Dumboya as, quote, president of the republic and head of the state, unquote, said that the consultation sessions scheduled for Friday with banks, insurance companies, and unions will be held on Saturday. This consultation will continue next week. It announced, including Monday meetings with cultural actors, press associations, and those within the informal sector. The military has already held talks with political parties, religious leaders, the head of mining companies, key players in this poor but rich country, and other figures. And finally, in the Republic of South Africa, the African National Congress's Treasurer General, Paul Machatele, said the party had enough money to contest the local government elections. Machatele was speaking in Riverside View in northern Johannesburg earlier today when officials encouraged people to register. The African National Congress has been battling financially. The party has failed to pay staffers for several months with reports emerging that it also owes the taxman for money it deducted from workers but failed to pay over. Employees have also been embarking on pickets and go slows at the party offices across the country. Now with the local government elections around the corner, the party says it's financially stable to fight the elections and fund its campaign. Treasurer General Paul Marshall-Taylor said, quote, Many of our members are contributing and will be ensuring resources to our people. See, we are in uh, the campaign. At the same time, the fired ANC employee, Carl Nihas, and some party members have opened a criminal case against the organization and its top leaders over the matter. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding this segment of our program, 
we would like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. The press service is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. And if you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is go to our website, and uh, that's at uh, blog panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, also, uh, if you'd like to, uh, of course, uh, have access to uh, today's uh, Pan-African Journal, the special worldwide radio broadcast, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week. I've been going crazy. I 
Welcome back, and uh, that was the uh, sound of the legendary Memphis Minnie uh, with the tune entitled Crazy Crying Blues. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast, the special edition of our program for uh, Sunday, uh, September 19th, 2021. And uh, right now we're going to go back uh, and focus in detail on the current uh, plight of thousands upon thousands of Haitian migrants uh, on the southern border of the United States, where the President uh, Joe Biden has uh, made another horrendous uh, decision to uh, rapidly uh, detain and deport uh, these Haitians who have uh, survived decades and centuries of U.S. imperialist intervention in their country. Uh, There's recently been an earthquake in Haiti. Uh, There's recently been political turmoil inside the country. Uh, Successive governments have been installed and removed by U.S. imperialism. And uh, Haitian people are African people. Uh, They have strong ties to the African-American people. Uh, Many uh, African-Americans were brought into the United States Uh, during the Haitian Revolution and after the Haitian Revolution um, to avoid uh, living in an independent black republic, Haiti being the first to declare independence, uh, where they went from African enslavement to an African independent republic in a matter of 12 years, the first in history. And, of course, uh, there was the uh, five-decade-long embargo uh, by uh, U.S. imperialism against Haiti between 1804 and 1862. And the only reason why Haiti was recognized because they wanted to recruit and went over Africans to fight on the Union side uh, during the Civil War. And, of course, uh, since then, uh, there have been numerous uh, blockades, sanctions, occupations, uh, particularly between 1915 and 1934. And even today, uh, the U.S. Uh, have their uh, claws deep uh, into the Haitian uh, political context. Let's listen uh, to this report uh, from uh, the Black News Channel uh, from yesterday. Good evening, black people and all allies fighting for black liberation, black prosperity, and black joy. I'm Charles Blow, and welcome to Prime. Since July, Haiti has seen a whirlwind of destruction and unrest. The island nation has seen one misfortune after another, from President Jovenel Moise's assassination to a massive earthquake and flooding due to Tropical Storm Grace. The president's assassination caused political uncertainty, while the earthquake and flooding have led to the deaths of over 2,000 Haitians. While relief efforts have begun in Haiti, Haiti, early estimates suggest that it will take several years for the country to fully recover from these disasters, especially since Haiti still has not fully recovered from the earthquake of 2010. This has all forced many Haitians to flee the country and seek refuge in the United States. According to Reuters, some Haitian refugees followed information shared by other Haitians on WhatsApp that outline a safe route to the U.S. through Mexico without being caught by authorities. This information has led to some 10,000 plus migrants, mainly from Haiti but also from South America, to a bridge connecting Mexico to Del Rio, Texas. 
The migrants who have crossed over into Del Rio have formed a camp under a bridge where U.S. Customs and Border Protection is holding them. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has resumed deportation flights to Haiti, which were paused in response to the earthquake. On Wednesday, 86 Haitians were deported from the U.S. back to their home country. In response, 50 Democratic lawmakers submitted a letter to the Biden administration that demanded that the deportations be stopped. As of yesterday, Homeland Security says the deportation flights would continue. Also, ICE has announced plans to fly eight deportation flights to Haiti next week, and that number would increase to 10 per week thereafter. Joining us to discuss the migration of Haitians into the United States and President Biden's unwillingness to halt the deportations is legal director of the Haitian Bridge Alliance, Nicole Phillips. Ms. Phillips, thank you so much for being here. I just want to first get your reaction, your opinions uh, and views on what is happening at the southern border with these Haitian uh, migrants stuck under that bridge, unbearable conditions uh, and temperatures. Thank you so much. It's really a privilege and a, and a pleasure to be on your show. Um, and, and I appreciate the question also. Um, it, I think what's, what's most appalling is that Haitians are clearly coming to this area of the United States in order to seek, as you mentioned, asylum and protection, given all of the difficulties in violence, lack of recovery from the earthquake in Haiti, there's nowhere for them to go back to. They are seeking protection, security, everything that we ourselves as humans want. That is what they want also. It's very disheartening um, and, and, and just incredulous that the U.S. government's response on the one hand, they're saying we're in solidarity with Haiti, with the earthquake. On the other hand, when Haitians are fleeing for security in the United States, their response to that is immediately um, to militarize, to deport them. Um, and, and this is something that Haitians have been treated this way in the U.S. immigration system, stemming back to the Duvalier regime in the 70s and 80s, when we had people people on Haitians on boats fleeing. Um, the incarceral system as we know it in, in immigration world was started in response to Haitians who were coming on boats trying to get it, seek refuge in the United States. That was our response then in 1981 when we created the prison system to incarcerate them. This is our response now is to immediately deport them. So there's a long history of this response. Um, you can see from the footage there that the conditions are awful. I mean, just inhumane. You can see from the footage pregnant women, children um, that, are ch that, that are forced, I can't even say it's a choice, that are forced into these inhumane conditions because this is all they have. This is the only choice. There's nowhere for them to go back to. I mean, we have seen with the evacuation uh, of people, hundreds of thousands of people in over in just two or three weeks from Afghanistan, when the United States wants to set up a vetting and screening system very quickly for massive numbers of people, they can do it. They were screening people before they let, got on those planes and left Afghanistan to make sure uh, that they were supposed to be on the plane, that they, were, uh, that, that, that they qualified to be, uh, you know, uh, become citizens uh, of the United States or uh, start that process. This can be done. Why is the United States not rushing assets 
to the border to speed up the screening. It's not to say that everyone will qualify for some sort of asylum, but you can, cre you can speed up the, the screening enough that they're not spending night after night under a bridge in those conditions. It's an excellent point because one of the things that we, we need to make clear is under these deportations that are happening, that started to happen this week, as you mentioned, and will continue happening over the next several weeks or months, they're, they're, they're deporting them under what's called Title 42. Um, and what Title 42 is a pretext, an illegal pretext, to be able to, under the guise of coronavirus, to not um, put them into our immigration system and to just immediately deport them. So they're not screened for asylum. It's really important to know that. Um, they're, they're, we're not following, the United States is not following international laws of um, non-resettlement. We're just deporting people without screening them for protection. Um, and so I, I sort of answer your question with another question. This is not just this unknown immediate uh, crisis. This has been bubbling for months, if not years. These people, most of these Haitians have been living in Mexico, or I can't even say living, they've been waiting in Mexico, um, other, either at the southern border in Chiapas with or in Tijuana or somewhere on the U.S.-Mexico border. They've been waiting patiently. 2016 when a metering policy came that effectively prevented Haitians from crossing the border and filing asylum. And so this, what's happening in Del Rio today was absolutely foreseeable and was preventable. And yes, now we can respond to the nine, 10,000 people that are in Del Rio now, as you mentioned, like we are responding through humanitarian parole to Haitians, um, like we are for the Afghanistan. But also this could have all been prevented, and we have been telling the U.S. government this for years and trying to work with them to figure out more humane systems for these vulnerable asylum seekers. What is your take on the Biden administration and President Biden in particular for restarting this deportation program, program in the middle of the disasters that Haiti is, is experiencing? And while we have uh, uh, all these Haitian migrants piling up on the southern border. It's disappointing, and I think it's not good for the Democratic Party. Um, I think that uh, we're hoping that there is a significant pushback by, um, by the Democratic Party, understanding that Florida is an important country. There's a lot of Haitian Americans in Florida. Um, we, we don't want the Democratic Party to be too comfortable with the black vote and say, oh, we got them anyways, we can treat Haitian migrants however we want to. That's not true. Um, and so this really has to be a priority for them. It's disheartening. I think that um, likely part of the reason the Biden administration is responding this way is because they are afraid of Fox News. They're afraid of the Republican Party. They're afraid of the governor of Texas and the backlash from immigration. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how to sort of satisfy everyone and not get that backlash for immigration. But once again, um, but it, the lives of, of, of black immigrants is being affected um, and, and many are being deported to peril. And just to give you one example, you mentioned that, that deportations um, have started. Somebody that was deported in the last few months 
um, to Haiti, he was living, his family that was able to receive him when he was deported was in the south of the country that was affected by the earthquake. <clears throat> so he went out to tend to the garden early in the morning and he heard the rumble of the ground, ran in, and his sister and all of his family perished in the earthquake. This is what we're sending people back to um, with without access to roads and medical equipment. There's an article um, in the Miami Herald by Jackie Charles that stated that a large percentage, at least 40% of Haitians have not received at any assistance at all after the earthquake. That is because there's a failure of government currently in Haiti with this political vacuum in following the assassination of the president. Haiti is not fit to be receiving its nationals right now. Um, and so for the Biden administration to ignore that and threaten to be sending these thousands of people back to Haiti is unconscionable and this message has to go out. You know, we know how President Trump described the island uh, and the people of Haiti and it was despicable, but those were words, right? The Biden administration has a chance to to make this right but their actions not just words they say the right words but the actions are so harmful how does the democratic party with this kind of posture differentiate itself from the trump years I don't have an answer to your question, but I think it's a really good question. I mean, what I can say are there are members of Congress that are really supportive. Um, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley is extremely supportive. Mondaire Jones is extremely supportive. Uh, Yvette Clark. Um, I think it's unfair to pressure, put all of this onto members of the Congressional Black Caucus, as amazing as they are. We need more members of Congress to be involved. I know, you know, Representative Waters. You know, I know there's a lot of members who are really concerned and and are are are, are we're, you know we're, we're trying to consult and figure out what are ways to push back on this administration. Um, but clearly, the one you know the administration in the White House uh, is getting it wrong, and and it's a it's a political calculation that they know they can get away or they think they can get away with doing this. What I've been told is that immigration Nicole, so is a non-winner issue, uh, meaning that they don't Nicole win Phillips, any points. Nicole Phillips, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Nicole Phillips, thank you so much for joining us on this important story. We will continue to track uh, the migrants from Haiti at the southern border and whatever, bring you whatever news we can bring on that. A rally to support the domestic terrorists that stormed the Capitol is slated for D.C. tomorrow. We'll dive into that one next here on Prime. Welcome back, and that was a report uh, from the Black News Channel on uh, the current situation prevailing right now on the southern border uh, in Texas, on the border with Mexico, where the United States government has taken upon itself uh, to fully remove thousands upon thousands of uh, Haitian migrants uh, without even any semblance of uh, due process uh, who are seeking asylum uh, in the United States uh, due to the conditions uh, prevailing uh, in the Caribbean uh, island nation of Haiti. And many of those conditions are a direct result of U.S. foreign policy towards Haiti uh, that extend back uh, not only years, but decades and centuries. And uh, this is another report. Uh, this one is from the public broadcasting system. Let's listen in. 
Texas Public Radio reporter Joey Palacios is covering the story from Del Rio, and he joined us earlier today. Joey, thank you for joining us. Tell us, where are you and what's behind you there? What we're looking at behind me is the border wall. And see that small entryway? That's where border personnel, Texas GPS personnel, are able to get back and forth to this migrant site. Now, the migrant encampment, which has upwards of 15,000 people right now, is maybe about a mile, three quarters of a mile down that way. And, you know, from here, you can see just agency vehicle after agency vehicle. We've seen buses coming in and out to bring people to CBP processing centers to have their asylum cases heard. This massive amount of people, they are all people hoping to get asylum within the U.S. The majority are from Haiti. And from what we've heard, some of these people have been in Mexico or in Central America or in Latin America for years, well before the recent earthquake, well before the, um, the assassination of, uh, of Haiti's president. You know, these are people that have heard that, you know, that this is the area to come to where they have the best, prob- probably the best chance of getting into the U.S. And that's one of the reasons why this encampment has grown from around 2,000 people at, the, at Monday to where the more than 15,000 people that it is now. When, the, when you say a processing center, is the government actually processing the Haitians and processing them to find out if they really have a reason to seek asylum here? Yes. As of yesterday, what we've heard about 2,000 people have been processed so far. And that number could be, be changing, you know, by the hour, as the hour. And these are people that, you know, will, they'll, 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 it'll be determined if they have an asylum case to stay within the United States. Once they, they, they are granted an asylum case, they're allowed to remain here legally, and they'll receive help from different agencies um, like uh, the Valverde Humanitarian Border Coalition, which helps people find family here uh, in the U.S. to get bus tickets to uh, just get to the next destination. So, I mean, there is a large response from community groups here to help these people once they're released from ICE. Joey, in this case, how are they going from the encampment where near where you are to airports, either 50 miles away to San Antonio or wherever these flights are going to take place? So the process is kind of a mystery. You know, from so th- some of the impact that this is having is that the international bridge here is closed. So regular traffic between the U.S. and Mexico is not placed and has not been taking place since Friday. So the bridge, which is just a few feet away from me, is basically a ghost town other than the 15,000 people that are underneath it. So no one is coming across. In fact, if you want to try to get in or out of the U.S. or Mexico, you have to go about 50 miles away to Eagle Pass. Uh, now, as far as the people that are under there, what the process is, the people down there may not even know that this is some of the uh, that this is the Biden administration's plan. Um, there hasn't really been any clear direction uh, or information, rather, on on how this is going to take place. Joey, the heat there in South Texas is extreme. We're talking about triple digits. Have there been any health concerns with these migrants, 15,000 essentially camping out outside under a bridge? Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, yesterday the heat index uh, was about uh, 104, maybe 105 degrees. And what we've seen coming out of that gate is that there are ambulances that will go in and out. And in fact, yesterday I saw an ambulance parked right outside and a family, three people come out. A mother and her child got into that ambulance. What the issue was, I'm not entirely sure, 
But as they were opening the door, there was already somebody else inside too. So heat exhaustion is a real concern. Feeding the people here is a real concern. In fact, yesterday, uh, the restaurant where I had gotten dinner, I was talking with the general manager, and he had said that they had been approached by a federal agent to come in and supply food. From what I understand, just other restaurants, too, are coming in to try to help with that. Joey Palacios with Texas Public Radio. Joey, thank you. Michael, thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And uh, that was a report uh, from uh, PBS on uh, the current uh, situation uh, in Haiti. And uh, in order to uh, stay abreast uh, of this question, uh, you can read the uh, Pan-African Newswire, and that's at uh, Pan African News. Dot blogspot.com. Uh, that's Pan African News. Dot blogspot.com. And uh, we're going to be following uh, the situation in Haiti uh, as it unfolds. And uh, there's bound to be a political response uh, to the uh, Biden administration uh, for uh, what it is doing in regard uh, to the thousands upon thousands of Haitian uh, migrants. Uh, that are being uh, detained and forcefully removed uh, from uh, the jurisdiction of the United States without as much of uh, a consideration as a hearing or any type of uh, due process. And, of course, this is the situation uh, prevailing here uh, in uh, the United States. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, the worldwide uh, radio broadcast. And uh, we are here uh, today, uh, Sunday, uh, September the 19th, uh, 2021, and uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. And uh, we'll take a break. Uh, We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, and uh, that was the voice of none other than uh, Phyllis Hyman uh, from the album, the title track from the album, Living All Alone. And uh, right now we want to move uh, to cover the local government elections in the Republic of South Africa, which are coming up, and uh, today 
was uh, the uh, conclusion of the uh, registration process uh, for South Africa, and uh, we're going to hear a report uh, from the SABC, and we want to thank our colleagues at the South African Broadcasting Corporation for sharing uh, this important um, news report, and uh, this uh, deals uh, with the visit of uh, President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa to Mpumalanga. Uh, let's listen in. Right, we have eyes and ears tracking the various developments on voter registration weekend. Remember, it's the final day. It closes at 5 uh, p.m. tonight, but you can still register online as uh, until that date is proclaimed. We have political parties as well as independents fanned out across the country. I want to take you now to Mpumalanga. It's where we find my colleague, Jumena Mutoko. He's live for us today, tracking uh, the ANC president, Cyril Ramaphosa. Tumelo, a very good morning to you. What are you witnessing there? Well, good morning to you, Blaine. The, the uh, ANC president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has just arrived here in Kanyamazani and also expected to speak to communities here in Kanyamazani and hear their, uh, uh, their frustration, their thoughts also here in Kanyamazani. You remember that we visited one of the bridges that collapsed in, in February after the recent rain that we had here in, uh, in Mpumalanga. So he is here, he is going to uh, come and address one of these students because these students have been talking, uh, uh, saying that they uh, they have frustrated and they have issues that they need to raise with the, with the president of the ANC. So he is expected to speak to them and also hear their, their, their uh, opinions. I'm just going to try and then squeeze to talk to the president. So yes. Bassani is one of the quiet so that the president can hear you. And then uh, raise their issues with the president. Uh, President, why na vitara mina mina pasano akangkuna? Eh, kumela kubula bula na wena. Mayelana na makai na ima studenti yale mpumalanga traffic training college. I still kumakai na sami tui lelo kusula kuami tuanga. Itali lelo kapepele riku seivangar. Mara le shikomela shaina. Iku president yaswana kuses silava iya vota. Mara problem iku ita vota njani na sirilo shaina singa tuaka li singa lungisi. Yairanza ANC. Mara loksa ila isheketa ku votela na sirilo shaina singa tuaka li. I still there must go talk to the people who hired us. If there is maladministration, we are not the administrators. We did nothing. Uh, personally, I would like to say something. I depended on this because because now, uh, at the age of 35, uh, I will never be hired anymore. I'm turning 35 next year. This was my last hope. I am a single parent who is raising a disabled kid. This was my last hope. This year, because of due to COVID-19, I have lost my father, who was a breadwinner to me. And now I don't know what am I going to do anymore. Because even the 350, when I try to register for it, they are telling me that I'm a government employee. But the government has uh, withdrawn us without even knowing or understanding. So what we want is to be reinstated. We're going back.
like we want education. When we look at the unemployment rate of South Africa, it's going higher and higher. And when they say 125 youth is, must go back and sit at home after they have given us appointment letters to say we have got a job. And that takes the whole year. You cannot hire me on January and then end of July you withdraw me. What am I going to do at home? What am, where am I going to start? So Shirlo Shaina Iku, Ikombela Kutelerseliwa, Amakea College, Yaya Jonza, Inayona, Timakatuan in Quat, Itakombela Kumiti Sayalan. Okay, thank you. Okay, Utavit uh, Rawane Pasani, Pasanwakama, Okay, so you are representing. How many people? Uh, 125 students. Ha 125 students who were in the training college? Yes. For the traffic yes. uh, school? Yes, President. Okay. No, no, thank you very much for raising this matter in a very calm way in which you are raising it. I can see that it's a matter that uh, pains you and all the others. Uh, I, I want to thank you, but I also want to thank you in having confidence in our government uh, that you, you, you want to come and work, uh, to be trained and do work, uh, and uh, you are hoping and you would like to be reinstated. Now this is a matter which I will discuss with the provincial chairperson acting chairperson of the province of the ANC but I'm also here with our premier uh, and this matter uh, we'll, we will discuss it and examine it and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with the way all of you uh, have raised this matter uh, I must tell you will never know how impressed I am you have not uh, gone out to to break or damage anything and uh, you have raised it as a concern in the way that you are and uh, I, 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 I am really pleased with that but I don't want you to link this issue with you exercising your vote your, your human right of voting um, the two are separate the two are separate you have raised your concern and your concern has now been fully registered. If there are any problems and issues that have to do with the way you were taken out, we will address those. The issue of you voting, exercising your right, and of course you can vote for whoever you want. Uh, you can vote for any party. That is your basic human rights but it is also your responsibility as a citizen of this country so I don't want you to express your your anger uh, even against your own responsibility of having to be a citizen of our country what you have done you have exercised another right which is yes to, to complain to protest and your protest has now been registered. I see your posters, and, uh, and I can see that uh, your posters are really sort of expressing the dissatisfaction and the pain, and I can see it also on your face. So the, the
concern has been registered, it will be attended to. And what I can promise you is that with the two leaders here of the party and of the government, this matter is going to be addressed. And if nothing else, I'm going to supervise that it should be addressed. And it should be addressed properly because as a citizen and as a young person, you have the right to want this matter to be addressed properly. So separate your responsibility to vote as a citizen and separate that from your protest and your complaint. Your complaint will be addressed. So when we do that, I now want you to exercise your responsibility as a citizen. But then again, in the end, I want to thank you. Our government is always seeking, is always seeking, one, to correct the problems that we have, to address the problems that we have in our country. This government is committed to doing so, and it is a listening government. We listen to the issues and complaints that our people have. Sometimes, yes, it takes time. And that's how governments, you know, work. Governments move very slowly, although we are trying to hasten the pace. But at the same time, this is a caring government. Caring in the way that it has been seeking to address many problems. In other places, when people gather like this, they are either arrested, put in detention for long periods and all that. Not here. We allow you even to protest and talk to them, even to criticize the president. You even have the right to point a finger at me as your president and criticize me. We accept that. It is your right, but at the same time we want to assure you that we are committed to doing the right thing by our people and improving the lives of South Africans. Right now, because we're just now too many, we're all in one place. COVID-19 uh, is a big problem because uh, we don't have social distancing. I think I should stop now and allow you to have COVID, uh, I mean to have uh, social distancing. Lastly, lastly, I'm happy to hear that, to see that many of you are wearing masks. I'm very, very happy with that. And now the other thing is that I want you to be vaccinated. Every person must be vaccinated so that we defend ourselves against this virus that spreads. I am vaccinated, the chair of the province is vaccinated, the premier is vaccinated, so I want every one of us to be vaccinated so that we protect each other, so that you are safe and I am safe and I'm then able to talk to you at close range. So I could have touched on many other things, but we're just too close to one another for too long. We must now separate. Thank you very much. You have raised the issue. Let's now go home. Uh, your matter has been registered. It is going to be addressed. We can just in President uh, speaking to some of these disgruntled uh, students from the traffic college here in Mumbai. They were um, uh, allegedly, uh, allegedly inspired.
So that's one. The other thing, uh, Tomelo, is, you know, many will argue that from what you heard from uh, the lady that was speaking, the person that was speaking there, is real stories on the ground. Why is this important? 
because people are saying that the leaders that come to them and try to convince them to vote for them need to hear these stories on the ground. Uh, why? Because they need to form part of their strategy going forward, or going forward, part of the calculus in order to better the lives of people. Uh, talk to us about the interest in voting. I know uh, Pumalanga is the second smallest province in the country. It has about, what, uh, 20 municipalities divided into about 400 wards, about over 1,700 voting districts. The feeling you're getting on the ground, are people interested in making their mark on November 1st? Okay, Blaine, you know what? Let me just try and try to speak to the ANC, uh, ANC member, Sikilem Balula, who's here. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk to us about uh, the campaigning that you guys are, are having here today. We see that a lot of people um, are also trying to speak to the president and also um, not a lot of COVID-19 protocols being followed here. What, what are we going to do to ensure that, you know what, we... Well, we sure I think uh, we are well within uh, COVID-19. Most of the people have got uh, their masks. It's a campaign. I mean, people have never seen the president. They only see him from far. He's on the ground talking to them. It is important. People must go and register. And uh, the ANC, in its very nature, we are a governing party. Uh, people have got an opportunity to raise their concerns with the president. Um, and uh, to elevate things that they've been crying about and all of that, uh, that uh, they need uh, to be on, on, the, on the agenda uh, of government, and, uh, which, is, which is very good, the nature of it. Um, so wherever we go with the president, like in Soweto, we are here in Pumalanga today, we see this trend where in which uh, people are very much warm, and uh, at the same time, they really uh, love the president and believe what he says. And uh, because uh, they see integrity, they see wisdom, and uh, they see an honorable person. Uh, that is what people respect, you know. So they feel that they must voice uh, their, 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 you know, their views and uh, about how they feel, uh, and so on. So which is quite... Uh, uh, eye-opening and uh, encouraging. And also you guys have been here, are we seeing a lot of appetite because we see that uh, people who wanting to go and vote because we see that a lot of people have been raising issues of service delivery saying that you know in their communities they're not getting water on time or they're not getting electricity, uh, um, uh, there are sewers spilling into the streets, uh, just in this community alone this bridge has been collapsed in February and has not been fixed and you know those are the issues and people have died uh, on this road. Uh, what are no, the it's going to be fixed. I mean, it's, this is a huge project. Uh, and you can see even behind that, there is a multi-billion rand project that I launched uh, of uh, fixing the road. So work is going on. So it's not like a, this is a natural disaster. As you can see, it's a big disaster uh, that must actually be fixed. So it's not a service delivery matter. It's a matter in that terms of service delivery, are we, uh, what are you guys going to tell the people? Because they have been uh, declaring that it's not enough. We don't tell people what they don't, they don't like. We tell them what we can do and what we can fix with them and working with them.
and that is what is important. So we're not telling people stuff that because we want them to hear what is good out of us. They will never trust us, these people. And, and uh, they will basically say that they simply come and say things to make us feel good. They love the ANC, they are in ANC colors. They are simply raising their issues that are of matter of emphasis to say that now that we are here, we are going to vote, but at the same time, don't forget the following, which is uh, normal in the election uh, period and all of that. Not that things are not being done. In certain areas, we are sluggish. Our people are not moving with speed. But uh, over and above that, it doesn't mean that today, as they complain, the things they are talking about, they are not being attended to. They are being attended to. Uh, yes, they are genuine in raising with the president, like for instance, the traffic college thing. I mean, they raised the issue of the traffic. I know about it. It has actually closed down. We are fixing that. So the issues that they are raising, it is a normal process when you see somebody who's the head of state on the ground. I'm going to vote, but at the same time, remember this. Make it a point that people move with speed. Some of our people don't move with speed, and it is normal that they raise those things so that when we leave, we are able also to tell them that uh, comrades, leaders, can you fix those things that the community is crying about? It is proper democracy in action. And after that, what are you guys going to do with those uh, councillors that are not going to be delivering to, to, to their communities? Are you going to hold them accountable and ensure that they also uh, uh, deliver services to these communities? What are you guys going to do as a party? Well, uh, councillors have got to deliver. We elect people with the faith that they will do better. We take them to communities. Communities say they raise their hand, we support Mbalula, and then down the line somebody becomes something else. Uh, but uh, we've got faith in them, and uh, that is why the ANC. We have uh, perfected our own election of candidates by basically taking it to communities. We no longer make it our own business alone. But also with the mayors, we want to interview them. We don't want to put somebody, a mayor, who can't even read or write. And then he has got to be responsible for a big budget of a metro or a municipality. So we need to interview them. It doesn't mean if you are number one on the list, you will automatically become a mayor. We are going to interview and get the best mayor who is able to control the finances and who is able to give direction, who is able to run the municipality proper and his executive council. And that is what we are looking for, the best of the best among us. That's what we are looking for. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Tamina uh, Motoko, live for us there in Mpumalanga. Thank you very much indeed. How difficult, I guess the question is, is to capture the imagination of an ever-changing electorate. These issues, this election boils down to service delivery, bread and butter issues. But also, the issue of gender-based violence is... Welcome back. And uh, that was a uh, SABC report on the visit of uh, ANC President and South African uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa to Mpumalanga. Uh, today uh, represented the last day uh, for registration in the upcoming uh, local government elections uh, that the ANC and other parties are contesting across uh, the Republic of South Africa. We'll take a break. 
We'll be back with our concluding segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe, and uh, today is Sunday, uh, September the 19th, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll be back.
know a lot of girls are out there listening to this song saying, that's fine for her, but uh-uh, baby. I ain't going out like that this time. See, the last man that was with me, he hurt me. But you know what? Sometimes love hurts. And it's going to hurt till it stops for you. You just have to have a little patience. And the 357 No, no, don't go off like that. But think back to the good times. Now, as for me, I'm a lover. That's all I know to do. But you hear that commercial on TV and say, that's what I do. I love from the bottom of the soles of my feet to the top of my head. That's all I know to do. And even after love has wounded me and left a bad scar on my heart, I don't know. The next time love comes around, I just manage to reach right down in that same old battle-torn heart and find some more love. That's one thing about real love. No matter how much you give away, you'll still have some more to give. Love is just funny and reason. I don't care what anybody says. Until the day I die, I'm going to end in love. I'm going to love as long as I live. I live for love. I live for love. I live for love alone. Now I'm talking about real love. Now if you don't know what real love is, you stay out of this conversation, all right? It's for grown people, you know? Every day of my life, I don't care what happens. Welcome back, and uh, that was the voice of the legendary Betty Wright uh, for Love Alone. Yes, for you alone uh, here at the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast. And we're going to move into our final segment. Uh, We'll examine uh, some of the major issues impacting Africa and the world uh, here from CGTN. Let's listen in. Guinea's junta rules out exile for ousted President Alpha Conde. Hong Kong voters cast their ballots for their first elections and a new amendment for patriotic governance. And Egypt in talks with Moderna to produce COVID-19 jabs locally. This is Africa Live. Hello and welcome to the show. I am Penina Karibe. Also coming up this hour. In business, Ghana signs a $1.2 billion deal to develop its bauxite resources. 
and in sport, African 100 meters record tumble at World Athletics Tour in Nairobi. We begin in Guinea, where junta leader Lieutenant Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya has held a press conference addressing issues raised by the Economic Community of West African States, also known as ECOWAS. ECOWAS demanded for the release of deposed President Alpha Conde. The bloc is also urging for the return of constitutional order in Guinea. Sujitian's Wanja Mungai reports. A day after ECOWAS representatives left Conakry, the military junta briefed the media about its response to the regional bloc's demands. Colonel Amara Kamara, the spokesperson of the newly formed Guinea National Rally and Development Committee, spoke on some of the pressing points. They include ECOWAS' call for the release of Alpha Conde, who has been in custody since his government was overthrown on 5th of September. It is clear to all the parties that the former president will remain in Guinea and at the location chosen by the CNRD. However, all measures will be taken to respect his physical and moral integrity. Alpha Conde is in a safe place and benefits from all the treatment due to his rank. Spokesperson Kamara told the journalists that plans are underway to have Guinea back under constitutional rule. ECOWAS had insisted on a six-month transition to a civilian administration. The President of the Republic, Mamadou Dumbuya, reminded his host that it was important for ECOWAS to listen to the legitimate aspirations of the people of Guinea. He insisted on not making the mistakes of the past. To avoid these mistakes, he informed the ECOWAS delegation that the national consultations had begun and that only the sovereign people of Guinea would decide their destiny. The military junta says it will not be affected by the announced ECOWAS sanctions including a freeze of its leaders' assets and a travel ban. The president responded by saying that we in the CNRD are soldiers and that our action took place on Guinean soil. We do not need to travel and there is nothing to freeze in our bank accounts. ECOWAS leaders had earlier met the junta. Ghanaian President Nana Akufo-Addo and Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara had said the discussions were fruitful. Wanjamongai, CGTN. Let's cross now to our correspondent Desiree Cannon in Conakry for the latest. Uh, Desiree, talk to us about the CNRD national consultations that began last Tuesday. When will they end and what groups of people remain to be met? Uh, Pelina, it should be uh, noted that uh, the Guinean uh, leaders have already uh, held talks with uh, the country's political uh, parties, the religious leaders, the head of uh, Guinean mining companies, the uh, regional coordinations, the banking sector, the civil society, as well as uh, many uh, figures. So the consultation will uh, uh, start, uh, will continue next week. So on Monday, Zumbia and his uh, uh, staff will meet with uh, uh, cultural actors as well as, as, well as uh, uh, the media groups and end uh, the consultation on Tuesday with the informal sector. Desiree, the CNRD ruling council designated Dumbuya as president of the Republican head of state. How are Guineans reacting to this? 
Well, uh, Pelida, it is important to mention that uh, a lot of people here in Guinea have put their trust in uh, uh, Dumbia, who overthrew uh, President Alpha Conde. Uh, most of people, uh, most of Guineans here say that uh, Dumbia is the right person to uh, put uh, Guinea uh, back on the right track. Uh, it is therefore with a great joy that uh, they learned of uh, the nomination of Dumbia as the head of the country. It is uh, also important to mention that uh, Guinean people themselves are in favor of uh, a transition of eight months and not uh, the transition of six months as imposed by ECOWAS. All right, Desiree, thank you for that update. Desiree Cannon live for us in Conakry. Let's widen this conversation. We're joined by Wale Ojawale, the Regional Organized Crime Observatory Coordinator for Central Africa at the Institute for Security Studies. He joins us from Dakar. Thank you very much, Wale, for joining us. Now, with the current stalemate between Guinea and ECOWAS, what are the other options on the table for ECOWAS? Well, thank you so much. The option for the ECOWAS is very, very clear. And it is to explore every possibility that they can to ensure that democratic transition is um, uh, embarked upon immediately. And I think the first thing which the president of Nigeria has actually I mean, spoken about is the fact that there might be the need to um, activate the Article 45 protocol of ECOWAS on democratic governance. And that implies that... Um, um, not recognizing the election that brought Apakonde in with the legitimacy crisis that traded, and conduct and support the democratic institution within the country, working with AU, UN, to ensure that there is prompt election that takes place in the country. And the starting point is probably to put, on, put up a transition government in place that is going to stay ahead of that within the next six months. That is the option. Right. So we've also noticed, uh, Wally, that France has remained very muted in all of this, which is really out of character for the country. It gets very involved in, its, in, in affairs of its former French colonies. What's your reading of this silence? Well, I think it's a two-way thing. You know that France um, has been very, very strong in terms of political leaning um, of Francophone African countries. So it gets everybody worrisome, like you have said. And I think probably France is just trying to read the, the, I mean, read the situation and intervene as appropriate. But I'm very, very optimistic that France is going to support a democratic process within the country. And then um, um, I think um, the ECOWAS should play the lead role here and not really be too concerned about what role France is going to play on the long run because this is our own continent and this is our own region. And the primary responsibility for democratic restoration and sustenance actually lies with, uh, with ECOWAS. So I think we should, fear, we should worry less about the position of France in this and just uh, concentrate on how ECOWAS is going to provide the lead. Ouattara has gone there, the president of Ghana has gone there, and I think um, uh, going by what has happened in Mali and the role that uh, ECOWAS is playing, we're also going to get a positive response from Guinea in this regard. Well, you did mention Mali, and you just took the words out of my mouth, Wale. Events in Guinea resulting in the ousting of President Alpha Conde. These are just the latest examples of the army 
intervening in national politics. It started in Zimbabwe. We saw an attempted one in Niger. Mali happened twice. Now we're talking about Guinea. It almost appears as if military interventions are occurring more often on the continent. Is this an, what is this an indicator of? What's going on? I think it's an indicator of two things. One, it is the legitimacy deficit that is hanging on some of these presidents. Um, uh, you, for instance, in the case of Guinea, the, the, the president actually subverted the constitutional process by uh, vying for the position of the president for the total, and that was not uh, well received by the people, the Guineans. And the second thing is the democratic government that is actually not delivering good governance to the people. I think that is what is making, uh, that, is, that is what is calling for the alluring of the military rule. But by historical experience and antecedents, I think those are the forefront of that that you saw jubilating on the street. Probably they are children of recent history who didn't know what, what military rule looked like in some of these countries. So I think it's a mix of historical uh, knowledge and then uh, poor democratic governance and legitimacy deficits that is uh, actually affecting some of this country and is making military uh, rule to look ap uh, appealing to some of them. But um, in the recent of it, I believe um, um, military rule is not going to take a, a, a second uh, hold on the continent, particularly in the region which has been described as um, a region that is actually opening up to democracy. So I think we should fear less. ECOWAS is on top of the game, and we are going to see positive response. ECOWAS is not going to tolerate military rule within West African sub-region. All right. Wale Ojewale in Dakar, thank you very much for those insights. Authorities in the Afghan capital have spoken to the press about efforts to get the city back up and running. The mayor of Kabul said the government has been gradually carrying out its municipal duties and is working on six major issues. Zumarilai Abbasin tells us more. Well, uh, the Kabul mayor Maulavi Hamdullah uh, came to the press conference for the first time after his appointment and he talked about six major issues including there is a rapation of the lands in, uh, in Kabul and also the revenue of Kabul municipality, the cleansing issues, and also those illegal construction in buildings are, uh, are the major issue, issues since last 20 years. And according to Kabul Meyer, they will all, uh, all uh, solve the issues and uh, everything needs much more concentration because the judicial system is not yet normalized and after it's normalized they will go after all those uh, are involved in land grabbing or the usurpation uh, in Kabul city and also say the salaries of the older staff and employees of the Kabul municipality are paid and there is no problem Kabul municipality has been a very critical uh, organization since last 20 years and there was also reports of corruption from the municipality and uh, land distributions were not uh, legal in most of the areas in uh, buying and selling of the properties was, which is also related to Kabul municipality, were also issues related to the uh, municipality. According to uh, Maulavi Hamzullah, yeah, they will solve all the issues and they are working on this. Besides, he encouraged the international and regional donors to invest in Kabul cities in the future, and he said that's what they are focusing on and finally get the uh, 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 attention of those donors to come to Kabul because the security is much better now and the hurdles and the security walls will be removed soon as it's already started.
family members of Afghans murdered in a U.S. drone strike have condemned America and expressed grief for their loved ones. CMG reporter Obaidallah Musafirzada visited the site of the attack. This is the house that the U.S. air strike attacked one day before they withdraw from Afghanistan. And in this attack, they killed at least 10 people, including children. And after 20 days, the U.S. announced that they mistakenly attacked in here. An investigation revealed the bombing did not kill terrorists plotting an attack. It instead killed aid worker Zimari Ahmadi and his family members as he pulled into his driveway. The family reflected on the tragedy and condemned the strike. We are facing lots of problems after the attack. We are in trouble. Our house was destroyed and 10 family members were killed. Now we don't even have a house. All of us are in pain. I want to tell the world that they should know about the United States and who they are. The U.S. is a criminal. They have committed crimes in every country and admit that they have done these things. I want the international community to punish the people who did this. If the U.S. is compensating or giving anything, even a White House cannot compare to a drop of blood of children. Think of the United States. They bring pain to every family when they go to any country. They have done nothing else. Voting is underway in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. 412 candidates are competing for 364 seats in the election committee. 1,450 voters have cast their ballots so far. This is the first contest under electoral changes based on the idea of patriotic governance. The election committee has two more key functions, electing some members to the Legislative Council and participating in the nomination of all candidates. Nearly 8,000 voters have registered this year. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, spoke to the media before polls opened. She says it's not true that the revamped electoral system is designed to shut opposition voices out of the city's political process. The whole objective of improving the electoral system of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is to ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. Uh, this is a very legitimate uh, objective of any public election in any government. I, I doubt very much that uh, another government or another country will allow the public elections to their local legislature to, uh, to consist of people uh, whose mission is to undermine the national interest or the national security. So uh, the by denying whether it is in the form of the uh, candidate uh, eligibility review committee or the uh, nomination system in the three uh, coming three elections, uh, the whole purpose is to ensure that the candidates could fulfill that very legitimate requirement that I have just uh, mentioned and which has been enshrined in our local legislation. But we still welcome uh, people from all walks of life. People have different opinions about the uh, government policies to, um, to go into uh, the political system, uh, as long as we all share the common objective that we will uh, continue to succeed under one country, two systems.
France has accused Australia, the US and the UK of lying about their new security pact. But the Australian Defence Minister says his country was upfront and honest with France about its concerns. Canberra has cancelled a deal for nuclear submarines that France was meant to provide. In response, Paris has recalled its ambassadors in Canberra and Washington. Meanwhile, Malaysia's Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaqub says he's worried that the pact could set off a nuclear arms race. Ross Cullen reports. Diplomatic relations between France and the U.S. and Australia sinking to new depths as the crisis over the cancelled submarine deal continues. Now France has recalled its ambassadors in Washington and Canberra for urgent talks. I'm so confident in the French-Australian-Australian-French cooperation. I think uh, this has been a huge mistake, a very, very bad handling of a partnership because it was not a contract. It was a partnership, a trust partnership that's supposed to be based on trust, mutual understanding, and also a partnership based, you know, on sincerity. The diplomatic recall was the first time ever France has ordered home its ambassador to the United States, its oldest ally. The move to recall the top French envoy in Canberra as well demonstrates the worsening of the situation with particular regards to the Indo-Pacific region. In a statement released late on Friday, the French Foreign Minister criticised Australia's decision to scrap its naval agreement with France. Jean-Yves Le Drian also spoke out against the announcement by Australia, the United States and the United Kingdom that they had formed a new trilateral security partnership. There's been fury here in Paris with the French Foreign Ministry saying in a statement that the decisions by Australia and the US constitute unacceptable behaviour between partners, the consequences of which affect the very idea that we have of our alliances. France has not recalled its ambassador in London though, with one senior French official saying the UK is only seen by France as a junior partner. On September the 16th, Australia said it would scrap a $40 billion deal signed in 2016 with France. The original contract would have seen French defence firm Naval Group build a fleet of submarines for Australia. But the US, the UK and Australia then surprised France by saying that American and British technology and expertise will now be used by Australia to build at least eight nuclear-powered submarines. The extraordinary escalation shows how serious the breakdown in relations has become. What began as a rippling row over a submarine contract has now become a full-blown diplomatic storm. Ross Cullen, CGTN, Paris. Coming up to 20 minutes into the hour, you're watching Africa Live. Let's take a short break straight ahead. Tunisia-Libya border reopens with strict COVID-19 health protocols. And animal prey poisoning leads to a decline in Uganda's vulture population. The East China Sea, home of dream seekers, where China's hub for reform and opening up connects with the Maritime Silk Road. Whether it's exploring the busiest seaport and trade zone, or witnessing how locals strive for a better life, join CGTN's adventure, Tides of Change Part 2, a journey enchanted by a dynamic ocean and beyond.
How will your world change today? What happens here? What happens there? Or what you make happen for yourself? If it matters to you, it matters to us too. Your stories are these stories that need to be told. Africa Live. Find your voice. South Africa's local election season is in full swing. The country's electoral commission, the IEC, is this weekend embarking on election registrations. This is meant to encourage all eligible voters to check, update and verify their status on the voters' role. South Africa is going to the polls for the local elections on November 1st. CGT and Sulisen Jamila tells us more. The Governing African National Congress had all their top leaders out in Soweto. Soweto is one of South Africa's largest townships. Here, the leadership, which included the ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa, were confronted by disgruntled residents. Electricity is one of the major issues affecting communities here. Some residents have been experiencing serious electricity problems compounded by cable theft and substations that have been blown up for about two years. The issue of electricity, more than any other issue, has been the overriding problem that uh, our people are complaining about. And in many ways they feel aggrieved in the way that electricity was cut off. In some cases for quite a long time, which is a real concern, they have expressed their anger uh, through various protests. And I felt together with the Premier and our Executive Mayor and uh, our other NEC members that we should actually go out there and meet our people and confront the problem head on rather than run away and uh, rely on uh, uh, a remote way of dealing with the problem. Currently, Soweto owes the National Ex Electricity Power Utility ESCOM over 7 billion rand in unpaid bills, making it difficult for the power utility to improve its electricity distribution in this township. On the whole, the matter of electricity was, I think, well dealt with. And of course, we dealt with it in the end by saying that we're going to ensure that ESCOM does restore electricity the AC president is spending this weekend crisscrossing many areas in Soweto, engaging residents on different matters affecting them. Opposition parties are also out in full force trying to ensure that their supporters register to vote. In the meantime, eligible voters have begun trickling in at various registration sites across the country. Yulisan Jamela for CGTN in Soweto, South Africa. Tunisia and Libya reopened their shared border on Friday after a two-month closure due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This follows an agreement between the two North African nations to ensure that health protocols are in place at border crossings to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Adnet Shawashi reports. The new health protocol between Tunisia and Libya states that travelers from both countries have to be fully vaccinated and present a negative PTR test. 
all those who are not yet vaccinated need to observe a mandatory quarantine in a hotel. The border reopening is a good decision. The health protocol measures are being respected here. I showed a negative PCR test and a vaccination certificate. The only problem is the high rate of vaccine hesitancy. The vaccines are available in Libya, but many people don't want to get inoculated, so they cannot enter Tunisia. The borders between Tunisia and Libya were closed by the Libyan government on July 8th because of the spread of the Delta variant in Tunisia. This decision drew strong criticism from Tunisians and blocked thousands of people at the border crossing of Rasajdir. The reopening of the border crossing is vital for business and economic activity. It also plays a social role. The border area between Tunisia and Libya connects the north to the south, Europe to Africa. I think the reopening came late because the economic activity was affected negatively. I hope it will not be closed again in the future. In mid-August, the government of Libyan Prime Minister Abdul Hamid Dbeiba announced the opening of the borders, but this decision was not implemented due to the refusal of the Tunisian side. On September 9th, Dbeiba made an official visit to Tunisia to ease tension between the two countries. Some parties tried to create a problem between Tunisia and Libya by pretending that terrorists were planning to attack our country from the Libyan soil. This is pure fantasy because Tunisia's security is also Libya's security. Tunisian and Libyan authorities are working together to boost their security cooperation. National carrier Tunisair announced the resumption of its flights from Tunis Carthage Airport to Tripoli Maitiga and Bin Ghazi Airport in Libya from September 23rd. The resumption of Tunisair flights to Libya follows the presidential decision to reopen border crossings with Libya. Rasajdir in Bin Girdan and Hiba in the governorate of Tatawin are the main border crossings between Tunisia and Libya. Their closure led to protests in both countries. Experts assert that the reopening will boost economic activity in both their regions. Adnan Shawishi, CGTN, Tunis. Egyptian health ministry officials say they are in negotiations with U.S. pharmaceutical company Moderna to manufacture its COVID-19 vaccines domestically. If agreed upon, the Moderna vaccine would be produced by state-owned vaccine manufacturing firm Vaxera. Reporting from Cairo, he's Adel Mahroui. The Egyptian health ministry says it's negotiating with another international pharmaceutical firm to produce its COVID-19 vaccines domestically. Health Minister Hala Zaid is leading talks with the United States pharmaceutical giant Moderna. The government is pushing to have its vaccination manufacturing firm Vaxera to lead the production of the first COVID-19 vaccine using messenger ribonucleic acid or mRNA technology, which will then become the second jab to be produced locally in Egypt after China's Sinovac. The COVAX uh, initiative failed to achieve the targets to the 92 countries to deliver the vaccine. So uh, because we lag uh, a lot of uh, vaccines quantities in terms of contractual agreements, we need to have local manufacturing. First step was uh, uh, Sinovac, and it was a very good and important initiative that we can actually satisfy all the Egyptian needs towards 100 million uh, shots that we can manufacture. Second is we need to diversify the contractual agreements. And talking with Moderna for technology transfer is a very important step so we can have and mRNA uh, vaccines here in Egypt. The health minister held a virtual meeting with officials from U.S. pharmaceutical firm Moderna to discuss manufacturing its COVID-19 vaccine in Egypt. So far, they are still in the negotiations phase. The health minister invited the company 
to visit the Vaxera facility and offered to dedicate a production line for Moderna. Egypt's state-owned firm Vaxera has recently established a massive vaccine production facility that is capable of producing 3 million doses daily. It is currently used to produce the Chinese Sinovac COVID-19 jab and aims to churn out 40 million doses before the year ends. Zaid invited Moderna to send over its experts to inspect that factory and complete their capacity assessment for domestic production. Once uh, the capacity assessment is in place, we'll be ready for technology transfer. Usually technology transfer it takes from 6 months to 12 months, but we can uh, expedite and make it faster to 3 months or 4 months if the plant is already ready. If so, and everything worked as perfect as we wish, we are talking about uh, the first quarter of uh, 2022, for example, that the plant will be ready to manufacture. The WHO has been pushing for the transfer of technology to Africa for the manufacture of Moderna's mRNA shot. But this week it reported lack of progress in talks with the U.S. pharmaceutical. Last year, Moderna said it would waive patents related to its vaccine during the pandemic. Only 3% of Africa's population has so far been vaccinated, while most developed countries have inoculated at least 50% of their population. The African continent is still facing many challenges to achieve the WHO's 10% inoculation target by the end of September. Realizing the need for supplies for vaccines in Africa and the potential it has in production, Egypt wants to become the vaccination hub to supply the continent with these essential jabs. Adel Mahroui, CGTN, Cairo. Vulture populations are on the decline in Uganda as they struggle with habitat loss and poisoning. It's a situation that mirrors a wider trend across Africa, as Leon Senyange reports. Vultures circling above Kampala is the common sight. On the ground, they scavenge for food in the city's garbage. These vultures are among several hundred that can be found in Uganda. This is a favorite spot for scavenging birds. Just meters away is the city abattoir, where cows and other animals are slaughtered for their meat. Hooded vultures are a common sight here, looking for any leftovers they can find. And they pose no threat, at least according to the butchers that work around here. We are never really bothered by these birds. They stay here like any other domestic birds. The hooded vulture is one of the 11 species known to exist in Africa. In the wild, their survival is increasingly under threat. The main cause is poisoning. Masai Mara, they have lost more than 90% of the vultures there because people are baiting the animals in order to kill the prey and the vultures come and, they, and, and feed on them and, 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 they, and, and they die. In Southern Africa, uh, the issue is also poisoning, but more poisoning because of agrochemicals. According to conservationists, over 75% of the world's vultures are slipping towards extinction. Stepping up education and community programs about the role vultures play in the ecosystem could help deal with a looming crisis. If you don't do very much, if you don't do anything now, we can lose all the birds in less than 20 years. So that's what it means and that's how, that's how critical it is. But we need to start acting now in order to save these, uh, these important species. Safeguarding their habitat, experts say 
could prove to be their best chance of survival. Otherwise, the big, bold, flesh-eating bird could soon be no more. Leon Sanyange, CGTN, Kampala, Uganda. You're watching Africa Live. Coming up in business news. Ghana signs a $1.2 billion deal to develop its bauxite resources. And Kenya's maize harvest expected to drop by 30% due to poor rainfall. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, a series of uh, news reports uh, on uh, various uh, geopolitical regions, uh, Africa Live. <clears throat> there were reports on uh, the recent military coup in Guinea, uh, the post-occupation situation in Afghanistan, uh, the upcoming elections in the Hong Kong province of China, and uh, news on the South African local government elections, the uh, tension on the Tunisian Libyan border and uh, the efforts by Egypt to develop its own vaccine manufacturing capacity and uh, other issues. Uh, and uh, that's going to conclude our program for uh, today, Sunday, uh, September 19th, uh, 2021. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And if you'd like to have access to this program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. This is Abayomi Azikawe, and uh, we're going to be leaving uh, you with Kenny Durham's Jazz Contrast uh, from 1957. And this is uh, Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.
the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.